Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome again to the Empower Humans podcast. This is episode 72 with the incredible Dr. Ron Ehrlich. E-H-R-L-I-C-H. You may not have heard of him before. He's actually Australian, but uh, a holistic health practitioner and speaker, author, podcaster, holistic dentist. We got into some really, what I consider pretty fascinating topics here. And uh, we covered everything from obviously dental health, but in an approach of how it's all interrelated in how we breathe and how we sleep and uh, nourishment as far as our nutrition, taking care of ourselves and taking an intentional approach to our health and wellness overall. And I think you'll find it informative and very fascinating as well. We got into a lot of things. We even covered some things related to the current uh, events of the coronavirus and stuff here towards the end. Uh, Stress. Uh, He has a book called A Life Less Stress that you can find on Amazon. We talk a little bit about that. And uh, his website, drronerlich.com. That's D-R-R-O-N-E-H-R-L-I-C-H.com. I want to remind you, as always, you are absolutely priceless. You're never alone. Don't let anyone convince you otherwise. The riches are found in you, my friends. If you need help with anything, reach out. Reach out to friends, neighbors, family. Reach out to to me as well uh, at Empower101 on Instagram and Twitter, uh, EmpowerHumans.com. Feel free to email info at EmpowerHumans.com. Also, just quick challenges before we get into this interview. Study. Keep studying. Start studying. Whatever the case might be, if you haven't been studying, learn, grow. That's what you're doing with this podcast. And there's tons of great material out there in the world between books, audiobooks, accessibility between videos and YouTube and Netflix and not just uh, entertaining movies. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's all kinds of educational things at our fingertips, literally on our phones and all kinds of resources. So study. Make great moments is the second challenge. That's with our loved ones. That's with friends, family, co-workers. That's with uh, anybody in our lives uh, who matters especially. And in all actuality, everyone around us should matter. And we need to start to love each other as a society more. But make great moments. Surprise, love, and spend time with our loved ones. Make, make a balanced effort in that regard. And, of course, let's keep doing this podcast together is our final challenge. Enjoy this interview with this uh, great doctor and also very, very informative and knowledgeable information that he brought here. You're going to be uh, shocked and surprised with uh, all the the great uh, material that we covered here. So without further ado, here's our interview with holistic health advocate and author and all these other great hats that he wears, Dr. Ron Ehrlich. We are honored to be here today with Dr. Ron Ehrlich, who is a, he's got several titles here, holistic health advocate, author, podcaster, speaker, and holistic dentist. Dr. Ron, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing well, Phil. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a privilege. And, uh, we, you know, on our podcast, we cover all kinds of things, authors and all, you know, and you've got a lot of hats you wear, sounds like. Um, you know, we talk to musicians <laughs> yeah. and people who make films and stuff too sometimes. But um, let's talk a little, I always like to talk to people about their background. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because, and especially getting into the kind of paths that it sounds like you've gotten on here and some very uh, informative information you share with the world. Uh, but let's go, you're from Australia. I think people might be able to kind of hear that in your voice, right? You, yeah. You grew up, uh, what, in Sydney or what part of Australia? Sydney, Australia. Sydney, Australia. I've lived here almost all my life. Um, we live right here on the coast. I, I can look out of my house and see Bondi Beach. Great. And um, it's a beautiful part of the world to be most of the time. Although recently, I have to say, we've had our problems. Yeah. Fires. Fires in particular. I've seen that. Mm. How's that now going, floods, by the way? Actually, we've switched to floods. 
Oh, <laughs> goodness. Well, uh, you know, I lived in Los Angeles for a while, and we had kind of the full gamut of fires, floods, uh, earthquakes, too. I'm sorry to hear that. It's It's been pretty devastating yeah. from what I see. Um, so you, you grew up there in Australia and it sounds like you got, cause I'm in Las Vegas. Now you told me you, before we started, you told me you've been to Las Vegas and other, other places. Um, and you've got, yeah, no, I visited, I visited the States on a few occasions. Yeah. It's an interesting country. <laughs> what, what's interesting. I mean, compare, I haven't been to Australia myself, but comparatively speaking, what's your insight on all of that? It's, uh, incredibly diverse. Um, you know, from one end of the country to the other. I mean, you could be in several different countries. One of the things about Australia is it's fair. I mean, we have a, a very big multicultural um, society, you know, but if you go from Sydney to Perth, which is on the other side of the country, the differences are not that great. Um, I think there's quite a difference between New York and, and California and, and Los Angeles, but there's so much in between that is very different from north to south, from east to west. So, you know, and, and what's going on in your country politically? Well, yeah. that, that's, uh, that's a whole other story. So I don't know how far you want to go into that one, but that's certainly uh, – got the world's attention as, as, as America always does. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's um, very you true. Know, and, and of course, American culture is uh, ubiquitous. I mean, we've grown up with American TV shows that I'm sure a lot of your listeners have grown up with as well. And American movies, American food, American culture. So we're very uh, familiar with what goes on in America. I, I think uh, when I first visited America in 1984, um, some people were surprised that I spoke English as well as I did. And I think they got Austria and Australia confused. Oh. Um, but, yeah. So, so look, it's a, it's, there's a lot of similarities and a lot of differences. Yeah. Hang with me a second. I'm fixing one quick thing. Everything's good. I'm just uh, – okay, we're good. Yeah, that, that's very true. Um, as I – you know, when you talk about the Austria thing, you know, in the mid-'80s, that was Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he's from Austria. So maybe people are thinking that's in that right. in that. <laughs> Realm. Yeah, I think they thought Austria Austria was an abbreviation for Australia, but they are very different countries. Yeah, and different languages for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like the Australian accent too. Um, so with your background and, and so on, what brought you to this place where you're doing and wearing all these hats as, as a holistic health advocate, author, and all these various things that you do? What what sent you down this path? Was there anything in your youth that kind of inspired you or, or – uh, what were some of the catalysts to get you here? I thought it was a very good mix of uh, biology, technology, psychology. It was, a, you know, it was a good profession to get into, and it has been. It's been very interesting. I've been in practice for 40 years now, and very early on, I mean, within the first year or so of my career, I found myself rather unexpectedly also treating patients with chronic tension headaches and neck aches, and I didn't expect that to be the case. But just by um, focusing on a person's occlusion, the way their teeth fit together, I seemed to have an impact on one or two patients' chronic headaches. And that got me thinking about, about health beyond the mouth. Mm -hmm. And in I, I thought, well, I really probably should explore nutrition because that's a big part of health. And so very early on in my career, I got into that. And uh, as I progressed about three or four years in, I was attending many courses, some in the, a lot in the States. And one I attended uh, presented me with a philosophy of healthcare that has guided me ever since. And that is, it said, our health is affected by stress, which in the mid 80s, well, you know, um, wasn't a term that was used as much as it is today. 
But what was interesting about it was they talked about a model of stress being a combination of five stressors. And those five stressors were and are emotional, environmental, postural, nutritional, and dental stress. And the idea, if you're dealing with stress and if you feel stress is causing a problem to your health, Mm -hmm. is to identify as many of those stressors as you can and minimize them. So this provided me with a whole structure by which to go off and learn more. Uh, So I definitely explored more nutrition. I got very involved in posture uh, and and movement uh, and environmental. I got also very involved in that. And, of course, uh, you know, living life, you get involved in emotional stress as well. And I was fortunate enough to work with um, many uh, practitioners that I could refer to professionally. So so it set up a, a way of thinking of healthcare or health uh, of our patients. And I tried to take this more holistic approach because if you're, you know, we're all exposed to specialties in medicine. You know, like when you go to see a dentist, the dentist is focused on your teeth. When you go to see a hand specialist, they focus on your hand and a brain and, and so it goes on, heart, and lung, all these little compartmentalized sections. But what we tend to forget is there's a whole person here. Mm. And so that's kind of been my journey, which has opened me up to a whole lot of things, which um, which we can talk about today. Yeah. Wow. That's a, and and the, the reality is you're right. You go to the dentist, you know, and I went recently. Thankfully, the dentist was pleased with me and said, hey, you got 100%. But, and people have various things based on their background, their family, and so on that contributes there. But that's just one piece of a big puzzle that is just our physical body, let alone our mindset and other things. So uh, what was it about kind of the more holistic approach to all this that, uh, that kind of resonated with you? Yeah, it's interesting because um, I found it liberating. I found it exciting. Um, I found the fact that I didn't necessarily have to have all the answers and that I had lots of other tools to use as being actually quite liberating. Now, some people feel quite threatened and are very dismissive of a holistic approach because people love certainty and they love simple answers to questions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And often professionals in the medical field particularly, but I think in general, feel that if they don't have the answer, that it somehow is makes them seem less uh, professional. And, uh, and so I just found the whole thing um, really liberating and exciting because it opened me up to and, – and if you have an open mind, then it opens you up to picking up pieces in each of those stressors and putting together the puzzle that is ultimately what our human experience is. You know, I mean, we're all exposed to those things and to a varying degree, um, they affect us. You know, I kind of view, um, I kind of view our journey through life as a balancing beam, if you like. On one side are those things that have the potential to break us down, to compromise our immune system, to promote inflammation, chronic inflammation, the common denominator in all diseases. So that's one side of the balancing beam. On the other side of the balancing beam is to build resilience. Mm. You know, I think in our modern world, the key message is you've got to build resilience into your life, physical, mental, and emotional resilience. And how do you do that? Well, there's another five things you can focus on. Sleep, breathe, nourish, move, and think. So there's the balancing beam. And if you think of the pivot, the fulcrum around which that's working, it's our genes. 
and how our genes express themselves, or it's what's called epigenetics. So that's kind of the model that I've used, and, and it's a great model, I believe, for asking all the right questions and, and a structure by which to approach life. Because ultimately, you know, I think the more complicated life has become, and it has become pretty complicated, the solutions are actually remarkably simple. And mm, uh, and wow. I think we just need to take back a step back from some of that complexity, and um, and that's that's really what excites me about a holistic approach. Yeah, I can agree more because I mean I like to be kind of a big picture thinker, and you, you safely say holistic approach is a big picture view of us as as people. Um, so I, I can agree, and that resonates a lot with me too. We talk about you know you, you mentioned sleep, uh, breathing. Uh, nourish, move, and think. Uh, how does all that uh, play together? And I mean, it, it makes sense. We all know we need to breathe. We all know we need to sleep. <laughs> we all know we need to eat. Um, nourishment in particular, why, why don't we talk about that? And that's, you know, a big function of that starts with the mouth. But uh, mm. what do you want to get into there as far as these specific pillars you mentioned? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think um, when it comes to nourishment, it's really, um, again, uh, not that complicated. It's made complicated by the fact that we're constantly bombarded with different public health messages, which are often confusing and often contradictory. So, mm-hmm. for example, you should be on low fat. That was a message that has been around for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And now that's not the case, although people are still hanging on to that. Yeah. Um, so low fat, high fat. Should I be on low fat, high fat? Should I be on low carb, high carb? Should I be on grains? Should I avoid gluten? Should I avoid dairy? Should I avoid this? Should I avoid that? So, so you know, there's a lot of confusion out there and we are constantly being bombarded by quick food um, and easy food. Yeah. And uh, and cheap food. And and I and, and actually I should say seemingly cheap food because when you factor in the health costs and the environmental costs that come with this supposedly simple food, cheap food, they are not cheap at all. So so you know this is part of what the nourish and nutritional stress if you like, nutritional stress and nourish dovetail into each other. And um, and so uh, when it comes to nourish, I think there are some really easy, simple um, uh, messages that we can all agree on. And we should also refer back to our human journey over millions of years. We, we get should get a lot of our information from that. So we've been eating vegetables for a long time. Yeah, so yeah. vegetables are a really good foundation for a good diet. And we're hearing a lot about veganism and vegetarian diets and all that. And I think it's a little bit oversimplistic, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think it's part of this. We love simple answers to complex problems. Um, and going vegan is, a, I believe, an oversimplistic approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but vegetables are an important part of that. But but there can be problems with vegetables too. I mean, you know, there's things called FODMAPs. There's things called salicylates, phytates, uh, oxalates, you know, which are all in vegetables, which all have the potential to cause vegetables problem. But for the main part, Vegetables are an important part of our diet. Yeah, um, yeah. Meat, meat gets a really bad serve, <laughs> you know. Nutrition. I mean, in you know, in the media, it, it's copying a hiding, and this is part of what the vegan message is. And mm-hmm. actually, when it comes to meat, 
I think the vegans have a very important and and and, and very a very important point, and that is the ethics of the way meat is produced in our modern world is really bad. It's bad for the animals. It's bad for our health. Mm. It's bad for the environment. So when it's bad for all of those things, there's only one reason for doing it, and that is that it's seemingly cheap and it gets sold to us all the time. But I think protein is important, and I think ethically grown, which in my opinion is pasture-fed, free-range, preferably organic if you can, but I would say pasture-fed and free-range is at least what we should be striving for. If you want to go, uh, you know, blue ribbon, we could go uh, organic and we could even go biodynamic. And the argument goes, well, that's so expensive, you know. Well, it may well be expensive, but I think we eat too much protein anyway. So why not spend a little bit more, support not only the farmers that do that, but also improve the environment while you're doing it and do something that's good for your health and eat a little bit less. So that's the protein side of things. Mm. Um, When it comes to fats, I think we have been set up over the last 40 years for the chronic disease preventable chronic disease epidemic we find ourselves in, obesity, diabetes going through the roof, yeah. uh, even amongst young kids. You know, it used to be, diabetes used to be called late onset diabetes. Well, not anymore. Um, and, and we've been set up for failure there by this low fat message, which again, was a great marketing tool. It made a lot of sense economically. It was a great way of selling a lot of processed food. And and the only problem with it is it's not a very good health message. And it's been a big part of what has been going on. We've mm-hmm. demonized natural fats that have been part of our diet for literally millions of years. So, you know, natural fats being from ethically grown animals is a really good source of fat. Butter from really ethically grown animals is a really good source. Olive oil, natural oils like macadamia, uh, avocados, those kind of things, coconut Mm. oil. Bad oils are heavily processed seed oils, which are things like sunflower, safflower, uh, canola. You know, again, long shelf life, got lots of good publicity, um, a great economic model, but not a very good health model. So that's fats. And then when we come to, you know, what we should be drinking, I mean, water is still the best drink, but I yeah, think, yeah. and in fact, I know that the water we drink uh, in our in our modern cities um, is, look, it's terrific that we are able to turn on a tap and have water that doesn't cause us obvious health problems. So I think the public services, and although there are parts in America, Phil, where that's not the case. You know, I, I do know, I think it's up in Detroit or somewhere up in the yeah, north there right. where um, water has been a problem where you'd actually turn on the tap and it's brown. But for the most part, most of us in, in our modern societies can turn on a tap But at home, what I do is I filter it. I put it through a reverse osmosis water filter. So I have completely clean, pure, distilled water, which is not necessarily a good thing to always be drinking. So I add a few grains of Himalayan rock salt. So suddenly I've got some minerals in there and I've got a very clean, cheap, uh, uh, nutrient, uh, nutritious uh, water to be drinking. So I think water is still a good thing. Salt's been maligned. I don't think that's fair. I think good quality, a complex salt, table salt that contains just sodium and chloride is something to be avoided. But Himalayan rock salt or Celtic sea salt, 
uh, has lots of trace minerals, which are important. Um, you know, so that's the basis. I mean, fruits, we eat yeah. far too much of all year round fruits and fruit juices, which elevates our sugar levels and our our insulin levels. And that's not a good thing, I don't think. I think seasonal fruit is okay. Um, what else have we got? Nuts. Nuts are great. <laughs> nuts, I eat a lot of nuts. And I, I, I soak them to get rid of the phytates, which make them poorly digestible. And then I dry roast them. And once you've done that, you'll never want to eat another nut that hasn't had that done to it. It's just tastes so much better. Mm. It's digested so much better. So mm. nuts are good. Fermented foods are good. Um, you know, so natural foods, that's that's what I consider nourished to be. Yeah. 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 I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, and I've... Uh, I've certainly not delved into this as as deeply as you. I, I listened to an audiobook called uh, Fast Food Genocide, and, there, and there's a lot of things like that out on the market these days. But the message seems to be in line generally with what you're saying too, as far as uh, you know, fresh, not processed foods, and balancing our diet. and And I want to get into the stress part of things here shortly too, but. Um, what about fasting? What about these other aspects? Because some people do a lot of that. I know people who've gone on very, very long fasts or they focus just on mm. green juices or salads yeah. and, or, you know, all out not eating. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on well, that you know, side? Yeah, well, you know, I, I said I think we have to think back to how we have evolved as a species. And there has been no time in human history where three meals a day and two snacks have been part of our human experience. So that's the starting point. And yeah. while we have been told, along with the food pyramid that, um, or the food plate, whatever it's called nowadays, um, while we've been told that eating three meals a day and two snacks is a really good thing to keep our insulin levels, our blood sugar level even through the day, that again is a great economic model for selling food and creating chronic disease, which then requires pharmaceuticals and medical attention to deal with it. We are well uh, we have evolved well too fast. I mean, you know, there are periods in our human journey where we haven't had meals regularly and our bodies adapt well to it. And that's why we have fat. So this business of intermittent time-restricted fast uh, eating, which in my case, what I do is I do what's called 16-8, which for um, 16 hours of the day, I don't eat. Um, and for eight hours of the day I do. So, for example, I might have lunch at one o'clock in the afternoon and then I'll have dinner at about six o'clock and then I won't eat anything again until one o'clock the next day. And um, mm. if you are, by the way, on a low-fat diet and following the advice of the food pyramid, you will find that extremely difficult to do. So what you have to do is go on to a low-carb approach, which, in my opinion, low-carb is at least 70 grams, at most 70, say 70 grams of carb a day, uh, a day, 70 grams of carb a day, mm -hmm. at the most 100, depending on your exercise level. Um, you know, some people refer to low carb as 150 or 250 grams of carb a day. That is not low carb. Um, but you go low carb and healthy fats and then going on to intermittent fasting, you'll be surprised. You will not be hungry and your whole preoccupation with, with food will disappear. And the other thing of of then fasting for a day or two or three, and some people go on a two or three week fast. I, I haven't done that, um, but I, I regularly do a one 
a one-day fast, that's not a problem, is good as well. Because what it does is it evens out your your insulin levels. It evens out your – it starts this process of called autophagy, which is mm. the mopping up or the killing of weak cells, and cancer cells come into that as well. So, you know, that's not a bad thing to do. So I think, you know, um, intermittent fasting and fasting is a really – powerful and incredibly cheap i mean you couldn't get much cheaper than not eating <laughs> that's, um, that's you know true. it doesn't cost anything yeah. and yet it has really powerful things so you've got to prepare yourself for it by going low carb and healthy fats but once you've done it i think it's a really good thing to do on a regular basis yeah yeah that's that's an interesting thing and, and i for one i have this uh, great aunt who just turned 100 uh last october and she uh, and she worked to the age of ninety five. She's a very uh, extraordinary person. She was on the news and stuff. She was on Ellen and all these things here in the U.S. Because she was working, she started building airplanes during World War II, and she continued on <laughs> all these years. And outside of that whole story, I sat down and chatted with her, uh, and I took her to breakfast and some things. But during the time she was working. And by the way, she only stopped working because they closed the plant, not because she retired at the age <laughs> of 95. What a great story. Yeah. And she, uh, so I said, well, what, we talk about eating and she'd done a lot of interviews and stuff and they, you know, she was eating a lot of junk and stuff over the years. But one of the key things that stood out to me was she was never eating breakfast. And I, and a lot of people have a different school of thought on that too. Um, because not everyone's going to be as scientific as Dr. Ehrlich here who respect the heck out of what you bring to the table and you've got a lot of knowledge and expertise that a lot of most of the rest of us don't have that level but her simple thing and she's you know uh she's just a depression era very extraordinary person but not you know extremely educated in all these things she just never ate breakfast she just drink her coffee going to work early in the morning and and then i guess have lunch after after yeah. work or even have a yeah. little lunch break um, yeah. Well, I think, like I said, there's never been a time in human history where three meals a day, and actually, when you is is the norm. But actually, when you go on to the American Dietitians Association website and you see mm -hmm. who the sponsors are of that, it's not hard to see where an advice to eat a good breakfast, particularly cereal in the morning, comes from, because the sponsors to those organisations and and others who are doing supposed research and public health messages is very much tainted by corporate interests rather than health perspective. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's the worst part. I mean, that's another there's another documentary on Netflix called Food Inc that kind of taps mm. into some aspects of that and some other things too. There's a thing called Rotten. All kinds of things. The beauty of of our day and age now. I mean, here you and I are speaking across the world. I'm in Las Vegas, you're in Australia, and we have access to all this information too, uh, globally for the most part. Um, and we just have to educate ourselves and make make wise choices. And and what I, it sounds to me from what we're talking about, we could probably do two or three sequels here and still not cover everything, <laughs> just based on how thorough. Because you get into breathing, you get into, and I'm a pretty thorough thinking guy. I like to think at least. Uh, yeah. With all the things that you brought well, up as far as sleep and stuff, how does all this? What what is the package deal? If we were to sum up kind of your approach, we talked a lot about nutrition. Uh, when it comes to the stress, the inflammation, and how the you know the mouth and the gut and the whole thing, how it all interplays. What is your main message? And maybe we got a twenty minute answer there. But what's your, <laughs> what what how is how is all yeah. this interplaying? Because you got a pretty thorough approach. 
Yeah. Well, well, you know, I think one of the things that you can do when you hear all these confusing health messages is throw your hands up and just go, <laughs> oh, what the hell? I'm just going to eat whatever because tomorrow tomorrow, the advice is going to be something else. Yeah. And when you explore, as I do in my book, the first part of the book is an exploration of the role of the chemical, food and pharmaceutical industry in public health messages. What I want people to come away from that, and that's what I was attracted to in your podcast here, Phil, uh, what I wanted to uh, get people to do is to say, hey, my health is just too important to leave to anybody else. I have to take control of it myself and I have to inform myself. I have to make informed decisions. So yeah. that's the starting point. And the starting point is that. The second thing is not overcomplicating things, not yeah. overcomplicating things. Mm -hmm. Look back in history and see what we've eaten. And what we've eaten is real food. So this, the, following the real food idea is mostly the right way to go. Occasionally, people who do that don't have the health response that they were hoping for, and that's where it becomes very nuanced, and that's where you need to consult an integrative doctor, a holistic doctor, a medical practitioner, uh, or nutritionist or naturopath or whatever you call you know they are uh, and to assess whether there are issues within that that you're sensitive to because food sensitivities are there you know you've mentioned yeah. sleep and breathe and that's obviously a big thing but but i believe sleep now there's a, you know we all know we have to sleep right yeah. yes okay well what does a consistently good night's sleep mean it means a it's a function of quantity and quality and quantity for 90% of us, at least, is seven to nine hours a night. Now, the interesting thing is people who sleep three to four hours a night know they're not getting enough sleep yep. and they perform really badly on almost every health measure, physical, mental and emotional. It's the group that sleeps six hours a day that are the most interesting because they think they're getting enough sleep, yeah. but they actually perform just as badly as the group that sleep three to four hours a night. <laughs> so it's a function of quantity. That's important. But putting your head on the pillow isn't enough. Quality is also important. And that means how well you breathe. And you said, I know we all know we have to breathe. Well, the secret to living a long life, and I don't think it's a big secret, Phil, is to keep breathing for as long as you can. Yeah, um, yeah that's good. I, I know that's not a big breakthrough. But there is a difference between <laughs> breathing and breathing well. And breathing well is a really important part of balancing out body chemistry, which is an important part of keeping you healthy. So a lot of people don't give a lot of thought to how you breathe, how what breathing well means. And in a nutshell, breathing well means breathing slowly and gently through your nose, breathing from the diaphragm, because if you've got a set of lungs, you may as well use all of it, um, breathing slowly and gently through the nose and using your diaphragm to do it. That is what breathing well means. And if you're a mouth breather, for example, that changes a whole lot of things. You're not warming, humidifying and filtering the air. You could be throwing your body out of balance. Um, getting up at night to go to the bathroom is a, sometimes a reflection of sleep-disordered breathing, and people don't make that connection. But it's a good example of how powerful breathing is. Yeah. So sleeping well and breathing well are so cheap. How, you know, how expensive is it to do that? So a lot of these <laughs> solutions 
are actually don't cost a lot of money, but they just are about people making informed choices and about taking control of their own health. So yeah. that's that's in a nutshell, I think, the message. Now, from there, how you think, because talking about how you think is all good and well, but if you're dog-tired and you're not absorbing your nutrients properly, then it's going to be very hard to be positive in life and think about what you're doing. And it's going to be hard to getting out and exercising and doing what you should be doing there. And, and there again, move. You know, less is more. You don't have to get out and flog yourself in a gym for an hour a day, five days a week. You know, you actually only need to do a little bit to make a big difference. So, mm. you know, there are very simple messages there, but it's basically about empowering humans, Phil. That must re resonate with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very, very good answer. I uh, and And by the way, and I heard another podcast of some folks talking about breathing through the nose. Um, and what I remember from what I heard was that uh, there's a certain chemical that comes through the nasal breathing that helps the oxygen right. absorb better into the body, essentially, into the bloodstream. And so is that is that the truth? <laughs> that is. That is. Well, well, you know, what we're talking about there is nitric oxide, not nitrous oxide, which is what you get at the dentist or when you're pregnant and delivering a baby. No, uh, right. nitric oxide is one of the most important body regulators that there is. And uh, a lot of it is produced in the sinuses and nasal passages when you breathe through your nose. And the nitric oxide, incidentally, is one of the things that's targeted in the Viagra, too, you know, because it improves circulation and oxygen uptake, you know. So, mm. so but nitric oxide is a, is a really important body regulator, and it is produced in the nasal passages and sinuses. And, and more so when you breathe through your nose. So, yeah, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Okay. And, okay, when we talk about being – because, again, we could go all over the map here and still cover a lot of ground but and, and still not cover a lot of ground too. You talk about being a holistic dentist, and, and that's kind of a specialty, and it's a term that I, for one, hadn't really heard before uh, you and I started interacting here. Uh, why that and what exactly is that and how does that interrelate to the rest? Yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've been a holistic dentist. I've been in practice for 40 years and I've been a holistic dentist probably for 35, 36 of those years. Oh. And it's a very common question, Phil. What is a holistic dentist? And the answer is it's really a dentist with attitude. And the attitude is this. <laughs> it's so easy for us, in fact, for any specialty, to get lost in your own specialty. And because of the intensity of what we do in dentistry, it's so minute, it's so focused, it's in such an awkward area of the body while the person is awake in the most sensitive part of the body. So it's really easy to get lost in that space. And the difference is a holistic dentist also recognizes that there is a whole person attached to that body. And that whole person has a digestive <laughs> tract, of which the mouth is the first part. Yeah. It has a respiratory tract, you know, your breathing, yes. and the shape and size of your mouth literally determines the shape and size of your upper airway. So if your mouth, if your teeth are narrow and crowded, and you don't have enough room for all 32 of the teeth we've evolved to have, then that means your jaw may be, your mouth may be narrow. And if that's the case, then it may also mean that your upper airway may be narrow. And if that's the case, it may predispose you to breathing dysfunctionally or sleep disordered breathing conditions of which, say, snoring 
and obstructive sleep apnea are two examples. So that's a holistic approach there. Yeah. The mouth is the site of the two most common infections known to man, woman, or child, and that is tooth decay and gum disease. Yeah. And there was a front-page story in August, New Scientist magazine, which says, does this one organism cause heart disease, strokes, cancer, low birth weight in children, and the organism is found in the mouth? And that is because the common denominator in all diseases, all diseases, not just dental diseases, but heart disease, cancer, autoimmune conditions, is chronic inflammation. And the most common site of chronic inflammation is your gums. And because the body's connected, what's going on in your mouth can affect your heart, can affect a whole range of other things. So that's another part of holistic dentistry. And the, the last part, which was the part I got into it initially, is that clenching or grinding of your teeth can predispose you to chronic tension, headaches, and neck aches that often are very frustrating to diagnose and often very frustrating to treat because a part of the puzzle is ignored and that is what's going on in your mouth. So that's what, in a mm. broad sense, what a holistic dentist is, just recognizing that there's a whole person attached to this teeth. Yeah, wow. Yeah, because, you know, I, I mentioned my dental visit. It's It was basically just cleaning the teeth and that was it. <laughs> and, yeah. and and there's nothing well, we wrong do, with that. You know, I, you know, people who come into our practice, uh, I, I'm a dentist, you know, that's what I do. I, I do dental work. Hmm. But I have a lot of other, um, you know, like, for example, when people come in to see us in our practice, obviously, we ask them, have you been brushing and flossing and all that, because we're dentists, and we've got to do that. But we also ask other questions like, is it easy for you to fall asleep at night? Do you wake up through the night? And most importantly, do you wake up feeling refreshed? Or do you wake up with a headache? Mm. or neck ache or jaw pain. So that's part of it. Um, you know, a person might come in and crack and broke a tooth and we will fix that tooth, but we'll also explore why that may have been. And they may have been clenching or grinding their teeth and there could be all sorts of reasons, nutritionally, emotionally, structurally, why they might do that. So that's what holistic dentistry looks at. Yeah, that's... that's... I think in America it's often referred to as biological dentistry, but holistic, biological, functional, you know, it's all about looking at the whole person. Yeah, that's uh, a lot of food for thought for all of us when it comes to that. Um so as we talk about the uh, this holistic approach to our bodies and we talk about stress, how does stress – you talked about, you know, I think it was five areas of stress and uh, and the importance to focus on that. It's, it's in the title of your book, book, for crying out loud, A Life Less Stressed. So why is our approach to stress so – I mean we talk I, – I know about the stress hormone, cortisol, I believe, and, and other things that – that uh, related to stress that uh, can contribute to heart problems and other things. But t talk to me about stress. <laughs> yeah. Well, stress, you know, it's a word that a lot of people um, recognize and, and uh, they kind of acknowledge that it's affecting their health and not necessarily in a very positive way. And uh, so you have to take a broader definition of stress than just it elevates cortisol, in my opinion, in this in our modern world. Yeah. And I define a stress as being anything that has the potential to compromise your immune system on the one hand and also promote chronic inflammation, increase the likelihood of chronic inflammation. So those are the two parameters that I use to define what a stress is because they are the common denominators in almost, I think, in all 
diseases. You know, so so what do you do? Well, you, if you're going to try and improve your health and kick your immune system up, regulate it, and and reduce chronic inflammation, then it would make sense that you should identify as many stressors as you can in your life and minimise your exposure to them. Mm. So, you know, let's, I mean, looking very quickly, and we could go into a show on each of these, but very quickly, emotional stress. Emotional stress, while we may not have control over the events in the world or the people we come into contact with, we do have control over how we think about them. So that's part of what we do is is look at how we're thinking about things and we recognise that we have the power to change that. Easier said than done. Um, and that's why you need to build resilience in order to reduce your emotional stress. So when you're sleeping and breathing well and eating well, then it's more easy to change your attitude to things. But thoughts are things. Thoughts are things. And they're little proteins called neurotransmitters. People would know serotonin or dopamine. You know, they would have heard those things. Yeah. They're little proteins that attach onto your cell membranes and cause your genes to express themselves in a good way or a bad way. Yeah. So emotional stress is one thing to consider. Yeah. Um, and it's different for everybody. You know, not a, you could be in exactly the same situation as a good friend and you could react to it very differently. So we need to respect that. Environmental stress, we're exposed to million, thousands of chemicals and on a daily basis. And we might assume they've been tested and approved, but we would be shocked to learn that only about 5 or 10% of them have gone through any sort of testing. And the testing they've gone through is one chemical at a time exposed for about six weeks or eight weeks on a healthy university student and that's how they're tested but that's not how we're exposed to them because we're exposed to them in combination over months years etc so you know there's that and and that can seem overwhelming but the good news is when you make informed decisions you can reduce your chemical load uh, by 80 or 90 percent. Electromagnetic radiation is another environmental stressor. And in 2011, the World Health Organization classified Wi-Fi radiation as a class 2B carcinogen. That means mm. a possible carcinogen. Class 2A is a probable carcinogen and class 1 is a carcinogen. So this Wi-Fi radiation that we carry around with us in our pockets, <laughs> put in our coat pockets, rest mm. in our laps next to our ovaries and our testicles, take them to bed with us, etc., etc., are um, potentially causing problems. Wow. And while, again, industry and governments, which is often sponsored by industries, tell us this perfectly safe, no problem at all, I think we need to approach this cautiously. Um, air quality, more people globally die every year from air pollution than do on the roads. 2018 study, um, 9 million people die of air pollution, 1.4 million die on the roads. And in Australia recently, we had that message come through loud and clear. And it doesn't happen overnight. It takes a few years for that to kick in. Mm. So we've had terrible air quality in Australia recently because of our fires. Yeah. But air quality is another. And then you go into the home and mould and dampness can wreak havoc with your health. So environmental health 
and stress is an important one and one that you can make informed decisions about. Postural stress is about sitting in front of computers with your head forward, having your head tilted down, looking at your mobile phone all day, not moving, um, sitting like a couch potato and not moving at all. Postural stress could be how you're sleeping, even how you go to the toilet. Uh, for chronic pain, it's you know how you walk and the leg length differences and foot structure. So there's a lot to consider in postural stress. We've touched on dental stress, we've touched on nutritional stress. So they're kind of some of the stressors that when you become aware of it, you can identify them and minimize them. And that's a good way of boosting your immune system and downscaling any chronic inflammation. Mm. Wow. Mouthful there. That's a lot to think about. And for me personally, I can't speak for anyone else, but you know, some folks are listening. And uh, on the one hand, sometimes I can say as an American, I grew up in America, uh, we seem to really like our stress here. As ironic a statement as that is, we gravitate towards stress. I, for one, probably fall in your six hours a night of sleep these days uh, kind of person too. And uh, and sometimes there's like a badge of honor for that in, in certain societies. And America is definitely one of them. Like, hey, we're, I slept four hours. I'm better than you. And, uh, or, or I've just stressed, I'm a workaholic. I mean, there's tons of psychological things into all this, but it sounds like the main message and, and we'll get into your response to all this, but the main message that I'm gathering from you is one of taking initiative, one of, uh, self care and, and, uh, making the things that matter, matter and realizing that it's all about our longevity of our lives, being there for our kids and grandkids and the things that matter most, which all those stressors. When we come to our, you know, on our deathbed, so to speak, we're not going to be so grateful that we spent our time doing all those things either, or not getting enough sleep and all that. What What are your thoughts on that? I know that's a broad question. I'm sure you have a multitude of thoughts, but what are some of your thoughts on about the stress and the Americans and the badge of honor and all that stuff? <laughs> well, it's funny you should use that term, Phil, because I've used it so often myself, really? um, and, I, and I've heard it used with people as well. And whenever I've told people that I have written a book called The Life Less Stress, they all go, oh, I must read that, and I, and I hope they do. <laughs> uh, but people, you're right, people do wear stress as a badge of honor and, and almost boast that they are more efficient, uh, you know, they're working harder than the person next to them because they're da 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 da. They're they're only sleeping that amount of time. The irony is, and I used to be that person, Phil, mm. who slept six hours a day, um, and I haven't done that for the last fifteen years. And Good my productivity and my energy levels have gone well. My wife and my family often tell me just to calm down um, <laughs> because you know I've got a lot of energy. And, uh, and and I'm in bed by 9, 9.30 every night. I'm up at 5.30 in the morning. I do a little bit of exercise, not a lot. I do a little bit of exercise and, uh, and I'm extremely productive. So you're right. I think people are wearing this as a badge of honor and, and I think we've bought in to a model and I think America has a lot to answer for here because uh, they're, pro you know, they're, this is part of the American way of life to, yeah. you know, become successful financially and establish yourself as a millionaire or if you're really lucky, a billionaire <laughs> yeah. and uh, aren't you terrific? Uh, but it doesn't necessarily guarantee you um, a happy life yeah. and a, certainly a healthy and well life. And as far as I know, and I hope I'm not sticking my neck out here, but as far as I know, we only get one shot at life and I uh, don't want to be too controversial. Um, and if we only do get one shot at life, I think one message I would have is 
to fulfil your potential. And, and by that, I don't mean to be the highest in sales or the most senior in your company. I mean to fulfill your potential as an individual, mm. as you relate to your family, your friends, your community, your business. You know, that's all part of it too, um, but to fulfill your potential. And in order to do that, being in good health is a great way to go because, um, you know, I think people actually need to go on a two or three month trial of making sleep a priority of of making um you know what you eat a priority measuring your carbs measuring your proteins just for a couple of weeks just to benchmark yourself going off alcohol just for a couple of weeks going off caffeine just to see how well you can feel because mm. once you've at least got that as the benchmark then you know when you start to compromise. I mean, I'm sure all of your listeners, for example, have gone alcohol-free, as an example. You know, I think we've all done that. And as soon as you go alcohol-free, you realise how ubiquitous it is. You know, it's everywhere. Everyone's encouraging you to have a drink. You've had a tough day at work. You've had a great day at work. Yeah. Congratulations, commiserations, happy birthday, sorry, anniversary, funerals, whatever. There's a drink associated with all of it. And when we go off alcohol for a few weeks... Mostly, I think people go, wow, you know, I, f I feel so much better. I'm sleeping better. I'm actually feeling good. And I think it's an example of benchmarking yourself just to see how well you can feel. And then as you enter the real world again, to recognize how much you're compromising and how much you're willing to compromise. Mm. And that's a personal decision for everyone to make for themselves. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Uh, a lot of value in what you just said. And the biggest thing really is a couple words of, of reaching our potential. And I think that uh, the more we, we focus on that as kind of the bullseye and the target, I think I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, you know, with due respect, and certainly I'm biased, America has produced a lot of the great innovations of the last century oh, or two totally, from, totally. from TV I, I, to I, I internet to airplanes, cars, you know. Yep, and, yep. and there's a work ethic there. But there's something to be said. I'm, I, for one, I've talked a lot about this lately. I believe the universe and the world around us is very instructive uh, about who we are and what we are. Like the universe demands balance and things like that, that uh, we can learn from very simple things. And some of the great teachers taught in symbols and parables of using all these things. So I think we can – I think it all supports a lot of the the things, if not all, the things that you're saying. And, and by the way, one thing I would say as, you're, as you said all that too is I think back to um, – Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. The seventh habit, as you may or may not recall, is the is sharpen the saw, which applies yeah. to all these things. And there's a little story there about two people, I think, competing, cutting wood, and one person kept stopping, and he ultimately won because it was, I guess, kind of a race, as I recall. Mm. And the question at the end was, what were you doing when we stopped? I was sharpening the saw. There's something to be said for sharpening our saw which is our body, which is our mind, which is our soul. <laughs> and, and it's all the various small and large things in between as far as our mouth. And, and we're not going to be perfect, so we don't need to have this perfectionism. But uh, I just that's just commentary. I don't really even have a question in saying that. <laughs> yeah, well, what do you it's think? interesting you mentioned Stephen Covey because another thing he says is start with the end in mind. Yes. And, um, you know, if the end in mind – what is the end in mind? What is – you know, what is it that we're Some don't even achieve? have one. Some, many people but don't some have people an don't. end in mind. But go ahead. That's right. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think what it's a worthwhile question to ask and interesting that it should be asked in a book of, of highly, you know, what is it, the seven habits of highly successful people. Yeah. And um, and so start with the end in mind. Well, what is the end in mind? Well, I'd like to live a healthy life for as long as I can, surrounded by my family and friends. I think that's a, a worthwhile thing to strive for. I'd like to do that in relative comfort. You know, so that's another thing to strive for. Um, so how do you uh, how do you do that? If you're going to start with that in mind, does working 16, 18, 20 hours a day fulfil that role, or should you be sharpening the saw? But interestingly, Phil, and I and I do want to say, I mean, America is an amazing place in terms of innovation, and and there's no question that you know from flight to technology to you know, it's 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 been the the, the hotbed of, of innovation. Interestingly, though, yeah. from a health perspective, most, a lot of countries spend between eight and ten percent of their GDP on healthcare. And and the interesting thing about America is that it spends almost twenty percent of its GDP on healthcare. Jeez. And out of the top. Uh, 40 OECD countries, I think it comes in at around number 35 on the list of healthiest. Yeah. So the answer to healthcare is not to spend more money. I mean, I think if evidence is anything to go by, America is a good example of that model not being the case. But it comes back to, well, what is the case? And that's why I keep coming back to the solutions are remarkably simple. They're not expensive. They're within everyone's reach. I believe if America was much healthier, oh my God, what could it achieve? It would be incredible. Yeah. Because there is so much in lost. Well, the cost to, is the financial cost is incredible. I mean, almost twenty percent of your GDP is spent on health costs. So that's amazing. Goodness. Um, but but the loss in human potential is dwarfs any financial consideration. Yeah. So I believe you know America has great potential. It's just not being realized at the moment. Yeah, not on all levels for sure. And uh, and there's so many factors. There's the psychological factors. There's corruption. You know, you talk about the 20%. I mean, we have some of the highest health care costs too uh, in the world. And uh, I mean, we could talk about big pharma and all kinds of things. I know you well, touch I do, on that I too. I do in the first part of my book. And, uh, and it's uh, – it is so pervasive through all levels of healthcare. It's it, 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 big pharma's influence is not just selling a drug, you know, or marketing a drug because that is such a crass way of marketing a product. It's far better to market to people that don't realise they're being marketed to, and so this finds its way into the medical journals, into the research, into regulatory bodies, into government bodies. Um, the marketing that pharma, big pharma does is so subtle and so sophisticated that those people that are marketing the product for the pharmaceutical companies don't actually realize they're doing that. They think they're doing the right thing by their patients. Mm -hmm. Yeah, excellent, excellent points. And boy, I... <laughs> I, I gotta say we gotta we gotta do some sequels here on this because there's so many areas of this and you're so knowledgeable and articulate that we gotta get you back I believe um, I there's uh, one thing right now at least as we record this who knows in five years if someone listens to this what what will have happened hopefully hopefully good positive things but this coronavirus do you have any uh, insight or thoughts on that you're a little closer to China than we are but there's we've got cases in the U S and and it's exponentially 
Uh, I think they're doing yeah. a decent job of trying to contain it as best they can. Mm. But what are your thoughts on that and and these pandemics that could it could be uh, in general? This is a kind of a new virus that started, as I understand it, in a, uh, a food market that was animals being sold to be food, sometimes kind of obscure animals, and a virus started there. What are you, Do you have any yeah. insight or thought on that? And if not, it's okay. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, I do. Uh, look, I think you've got to take a step back here and remind yourself that each year about 60,000 people die globally of the flu. So, you know, let's keep that figure at the back of our minds and say, you know, flu takes its toll every year. So this isn't totally unprecedented or, or un, uh, unknown. No. Um, what is actually most disturbing about it is there's this sort of rate of reinfection. And in the flu virus, in the influenza virus, they give it a score of, say, 1.3 or 1.5, which means for every person that's infected, there might be one and a half people that could catch it. Mm. But I think with this coronavirus, what is disturbing is we don't actually know what that reinfection potential is there's speculation that it could be around three which means that for every person three people might get it mm. um so so there's that unknown and i think approaching it cautiously i mean i was just going to in two weeks time i was flying up to singapore for a college i'm president of the australasian college of nutritional and environmental medicine here in australia wow. and we were running our first international conference in singapore in february and that has been postponed. And I'm not unhappy about that, to be honest. Um, but, yeah. but, you know, so I think we need to keep it in perspective. Flu takes its toll on people every year. Um, but we need to approach it responsibly and carefully. And I think the authorities are doing a, a pretty good job at that. Yeah. Yeah. Something to be mindful of for sure. Again, I think the message is let's reach our potential and let's have kind of an intentional take initiative approach to our health and wellness overall. And wellness is and health in general are very, very broad terms for a whole slew of things in our world. But between our bodies, minds and, and souls, if you will, <laughs> there's there's a lot, a lot there. And, and instead of just letting life happen and getting sucked into a job and then dying, Let's let's make life worth living and all these things too. Uh, let, let's talk to again. You and I both know we could talk probably for hours about all this stuff, and I, it's fascinating. And you've got some really great insights and knowledge. Uh, your book, the book is a life less stressed. Uh, where where can folks get that? Is that on Amazon? Uh, it is on Amazon. It is on Amazon. So um, that's available. It's actually an audio book as well. You can hear me read it to you. It's even coming out right. in Turkey next month. So I'm going to get my first Turkish edition, which I'm going to have difficulty reading, but I'll enjoy looking at it. We've got a lot and of listeners doing, in Turkey. I won't be doing the audio book for that one. <laughs> oh, okay. um, but, but yeah, it's on, on, um, on Amazon. Yeah. And the, the website, uh, Dr. Ron Ehrlich, which by the way, is Dr. D-R-R-O-N-E-H-R-L-I-C-H.com, right? That's it. Great. And uh, and so, again, holistic health advocate, author, podcaster, speaker. I can't thank you enough. Is there anything you want to add as we close here? Because, again, we can reconvene for for some sequels, and I think some folks would appreciate that as well. They, they can always – you've got your own podcast, uh, Unstress podcast with Dr. Ron Ehrlich. What else do you want to add in closing, my friend? 
No, I think I think you've covered it with their fill, and I've really enjoyed talking to you. So, thank you so Likewise. much for having me. Likewise. Well, for our audience, as always, uh, empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.